1: your meeting is about to begin. Please be advised that this conference call is being recorded. Good morning and welcome to the BMO Financial Group's Q1 2020 earnings release and conference call for February 25, 2020. Your host for today is Ms. Jill Haminyak, Head of Investor Relations. Ms. Haminyak, please go ahead.
0: Thank you. Good morning and thanks for joining us today. Our agenda for today's investor presentation is as follows. We will begin the call with remarks from Daryl White, BMO CEO, followed by presentations from Tom Flynn, the bank's chief financial officer, and Pat Cronin, our chief risk officer. We have with us today Cam Fowler from Canadian PNC and Dave Casper from US PNC. Dan Barkley is here for BMO Capital Markets, and Joanna Rotenberg is here for BMO Wealth Management. After their presentations, we will have a question and answer period where we will take questions from pre-qualified analysts. To give everyone an opportunity to participate, please keep it to one question. Daryl will then close the call with concluding remarks. On behalf of those speaking today, I note that forward-looking statements may be made during this call. Actual results could differ materially from forecasts, projections, or conclusions in these statements. I would also remind listeners that the bank uses non-GAAP financial measures to arrive at adjusted results to assess and measure performance by business and the overall bank. Management assesses performance on a reported and adjusted basis and considers both to be useful in assessing underlying business performance. <coughs> Daryl and Tom will be referring to adjusted results in the remarks unless otherwise noted as reported. Additional information on adjusting items, the bank's reported results and factors and assumptions related to forward-looking information can be found in our 2019 annual report and our first quarter 2020 report to shareholders. With that said, I'll hand things over to Daryl.
2: Thank you, Jill, and good morning, everyone. Today, we reported a very strong and balanced Q1 performance with earnings of $1.6 billion, up 5%, including revenue up 8%, and pre-provision pre-tax earnings up 16%. All of our businesses contributed, delivering good performance, consistent with business potential, and with clear momentum in key areas of competitive strength. In Q4, we expressed to you confidence going into the new year with optimism around stabilizing economic environment, overall client senti- sentiment, and, of course, our own business plan. Today's report supports that view. For the quarter, we delivered operating leverage of 4.6% with every business above 2%. Efficiency improved a significant 270 basis points year over year with a strong total bank revenue performance and disciplined expense management. And we remain committed to an expense growth rate of 2% or better for the year. The strength of our operating performance allowed us to earn through elevated provisions. Overall, portfolio credit quality remains good with some pressure in two areas, and we expect provisions to come down from this quarter's level. Pat will discuss provisions in more detail in his remarks. Capital remained strong at 11.4 percent, even after absorbing regulatory changes in the quarter. Our U.S. segment continues to deliver against healthy expectations. U.S. PPPT was up 10 percent, with a particularly good contribution from capital markets. This quarter, every one of our businesses contributed to achieving our objective of consistent long-term financial performance executing against clear, customer-driven, competitively differentiated strategies. Starting with Canadian p and we had another strong quarter with net income growth of 8% and PPPT growth of 10%. Robust loan and deposit growth contributed to overall strong revenue growth of 7%, resulting in the highest operating leverage for Canadian p in the past 12 quarters at 3.6%. We're seeing steady market share gains across almost every product category, including personal deposits, lending, and cards, as well as commercial deposits and lending, all consistent with the strategy we outlined at Investor Day. In personal, we were extremely proud to receive the top overall score in J.D. Power's 2020 Canadian Retail Banking Advice Study, marking a major leap forward from our third-place ranking last year. BMO placed first in five of seven categories in the study, which measures customer satisfaction with the advice and guidance they receive from five major Canadian banks. And at the same time, the BMO performance plan was rated best checking account with a big bank in Canada by MoneySense magazine. On the digital innovation side, this quarter we introduced BMO Insights a personalized automated solution that uses artificial intelligence to provide actionable insights to help customers manage their day-to-day finances and cash flow. Canadian commercial also continues to be a core element of our success as we drive above market performance in line with our risk appetite and with no change in our disciplined approach to pricing. Our success is driven by our expertise, our unparalleled industry knowledge and our commitment to going in above and beyond for our customers. And increasingly, that's with the support of digital innovation as well. For example, BMO Business Express, our industry-leading small business lending platform, which allows customers to be approved for a loan in just minutes, is on track to surpass $1 billion in new authorizations next month. Turning to USP&C, We had another good quarter, absorbing the full impact of recent rate decreases while while still driving year-over-year constant currency revenue growth of 3% and PPPT growth of 5%. Disciplined expense management helped deliver positive operating leverage of 2.1% and a new low efficiency ratio of 55.2%. NIM remained relatively stable quarter over quarter with the benefit of deposits growing faster than loans and our expectations are for continued stability through the year. Our U.S. commercial business delivered double-digit year-over-year loan and deposit growth with some expected quarter-over-quarter moderation in loan growth. This quarter, we announced the opening of our first commercial banking office in Los Angeles, building on an already strong presence in Southern California. As many companies headquartered in California have significant Canadian operations, it's further proof of our commitment to provide our North American customers with unparalleled commercial expertise and value. We look forward to talking to you about this along with more on our strategy to continue to build our leading North American commercial presence at our April 6th investor event. In U.S. personal and business banking. Our deposit momentum continues, with digitally acquired deposits growing nearly 65% quarter over quarter. Digital accounted for just over 20% of total retail deposit growth this quarter in the U.S., with 98% of that coming from markets outside of Illinois and Wisconsin. Turning to wealth management, with net income growth of 21%, PPT growth of 24% and operating leverage of 5.9%, wealth management delivered a strong balanced performance, driven by higher client assets, continued diversification through double-digit loan and deposit growth, and the benefit of disciplined expense management. The business continues to strengthen and streamline with targeted investments in key competitive growth areas. This quarter, we launched a suite of seven ESG ETFs, that add to our leadership position, and we led the industry on ETF net inflows. We also recently opened a new private wealth offices in both Dallas and Atlanta, joining forces with our commercial bankers there. This is a great example of how we're increasing our wealth penetration with our commercial and business banking customers, a key growth segment for BMO. Capital markets had a very strong quarter with positive contributions across businesses and geographies. Net income growth was 38%, with PPPT up 50%. It was a good start to the year with potential for revenue opportunities greater than we would have expected a quarter ago. Investments we've made in capital markets are proving their return, as the business is now more consistently performing in line with earnings potential. Our U.S. capital markets business, for example, delivered net income above $100 million U.S., and pipelines across the franchise remain good. In January, we announced an agreement to acquire Clearpool, a cloud-based electronic trading platform with customizable algorithmic strategies. This acquisition emphasizes our commitment to clients as we provide leading-edge innovative trading technology to our global client base and we expand our business in areas of opportunity and strength. Another area of opportunity for us is sustainable finance. This quarter BMO Capital Markets led the first Canadian sustainability-linked credit facility for a major corporate client. Following on the footsteps of our inaugural sustainability bond, these initiatives are cementing a leadership role for us within the market, one that will help drive long-term sustainable financial performance. So looking ahead, we feel confident for 2020. We have a strong and diversified business well-executed strategies, and great momentum. Our performance this quarter reflects our disciplined approach and our commitment to our strategy, and we're confident in our ability to build on our performance through the year. Our success will be determined by the consistency of strategy and performance, as well as consistency of purpose. Our purpose to boldly grow the good in business and life unites our employees, builds trust and loyalty with our customers, and sets a clear path for our future. Today, we're very proud to be named by the Ethisphere Institute as one of the world's most ethical companies for 2020, a recognition that we've now received three years in a row. And for the second consecutive year, BMO Harris Bank was recently recognized by Forbes magazine in its annual list of America's best employers for diversity, a recognition that highlights our commitment to encouraging diversity and supporting all our employees diversity in all its facets is a cornerstone to our success supporting inclusive communities and workplaces is a critical component of that this quarter we announced a research partnership with the canadian center with the center for addiction and mental health culminating in a corporate playbook to advance mental health awareness in workplaces we encourage every corporate leader to take accountability by adopting the playbook as we firmly believe business performance success is only possible when directly tied to a strong commitment to workplace mental health. Supporting our customers, our communities, and our employees is how BMO will continue to drive long-term sustainable value and strong relative financial performance. And so with that, I'll turn it over to Tom to talk about the first quarter financial results.
3: Okay, thank you, Daryl, and good morning, everyone. My comments this
2: morning will start on
3: slide eight. Q1 reported EPS was $2.37, and net income was $1.6 billion. Adjusted EPS was $2.41, up 4%, and adjusted net income of $1.6 billion was up 5%. As Darrell said, results in the quarter reflect good performance across our businesses, with pre-provision, pre-tax earnings growth of 16%, operating leverage of 4.6%, with each operating group above 2%. Good revenue growth and operating leverage helped us comfortably earn through higher credit losses in the quarter. Adjusting items this quarter are similar to past quarters and are shown on slide 25. Turning now to revenue, net revenue of $6 billion was up 8 percent from last year, reflecting strong performance in BMO Capital Markets, Canadian p and and BMO Wealth Management. Expenses increased 3%, largely reflecting higher employee-related expenses given strong revenues and higher technology costs, partially offset by the benefits from productivity initiatives. We continue to make good progress on efficiency, with total bank efficiency at 60.3% in the quarter. As a reminder, expenses in the first quarter of each year include costs related to stock-based compensation for employees who are eligible to retire. This expense was $90 million in Q1. Excluding these costs, the efficiency ratio would have been 58.8% in the quarter. We are on track to deliver the expense savings from our Q4 restructuring charge in line with prior guidance. As a reminder, the expected annualized run rate savings in Q4 of this year are approximately $300 million, with full-year benefits in the income statement of approximately $200 million. These savings will contribute to achieving our 2% or better expense growth target for the year. Moving now to slide 9 for capital, the common equity Tier 1 ratio was 11.4% unchanged from last year, or last quarter rather, with retained earnings growth offset by the impact of regulatory changes and the adoption of IFRS 16, which together had a 16 basis point impact on the ratio and higher risk-weighted assets. We expect the previously announced acquisition of Clearpool Group to close in the second quarter with a capital ratio impact of a little less than 10 basis points. Moving to our operating groups and starting on slide 10, Canadian PNC had another strong quarter in Q1. Net income was 700 million, up 8%, and pre-provision pre-tax earnings growth was 10%. Revenue was strong at 7%, driven by higher balances, higher margins, and non-interest revenue. Total loans were up to 7%, with commercial loans up 15%. Mortgage growth through proprietary channels, including advertising HELOCs, was 6%. Deposit growth continued to be very good at 14%. Expenses increased 3%, primarily due to higher technology and pension costs. Operating leverage was strong at 3.6%, and efficiency improved to 47.3%. Moving to USPNC on slide 11, and my comments here speak to the U.S. dollar performance. Net income of $275 million was down, down from strong performance a year ago due to higher credit provisions partially offset by higher revenue. As a reminder, credit provisions benefited from a recovery in Q1 of last year. Pre-provision pre-tax earnings growth was good at 5%. Revenue was up 3%, driven by loan and deposit growth and higher fee income, partially offset by a lower net interest margin. Average loan growth was 12%, with commercial up 13 and personal up 9. Deposit growth continued to be strong, up 11% from last year. The net interest margin was down just one basis point from last quarter. The change in NIM was better than anticipated, reflecting less deposit spread, price pressure, and strong sequential deposit growth. With expense growth of under 1 percent, operating leverage was 2.1 percent in the quarter and efficiency 55.2 percent. Provisions for credit losses were up from last year at 113 million. Pat will provide color on this in his remarks. Turning to slide 12, BMO Capital Capital Markets had a good quarter with net income of 362 million, up 38 percent. The U.S. business continued to have strong performance with net income of U.S. 110 million, up 53 percent and representing 40 percent of capital markets earnings in the quarter. Revenue was up 20 percent, with strong growth ac- across both global markets and investment and corporate banking. Operating leverage was strong at 13 percent. Over the last three quarters, capital markets net income has averaged 320 million, which we feel is reflective of the earnings potential of the business. Moving to slide 13, wealth management had a good quarter, with net income of $300 million, up 21 percent. Traditional wealth net income of $218 million was up 19 percent, reflecting higher revenue and positive operating leverage. Loan and deposit growth continues to be strong at 14 percent and 12 percent, respectively. Insurance net income was $82 million, up 26 percent, primarily due to positive market movements in the quarter. The higher insurance income in the quarter was offset by cost from stock-based compensation expensed in Q1, and so, in effect, the underlying earnings were at the $300 million level. Expenses were up 2 percent, reflecting higher revenue-based costs, and operating leverage was strong at almost 6 <coughs> percent. Turning now to slide 14 for corporate services, the net loss was $106 million compared to a net loss of $76 million a year ago results decreased primarily due to lower Treasury-related revenue and higher expenses. To conclude, the strong first-quarter performance demonstrates continued momentum in our business, consistent delivery against our strategic priorities, and the benefits of our diversified business mix. And with that, I'll hand it over to Pat.
4: Thank you, Tom, and good morning, everyone. Starting on slide 16, the total provision for credit losses this quarter was $349 million, or 31 basis points. While our impaired provisions are elevated this quarter, the overall credit quality of our lending books remains sound, and we do not see any indications of broad-based credit weakness. Consequently, based on current business conditions, we expect our loss rate on impaired loans to revert to more normal levels in the coming quarters. The increase in impaired provisions this quarter was primarily due to higher losses in U.S. commercial, largely due to normal quarterly loss variability, as well as from specific weakness in transportation finance. In addition, our corporate lending portfolios experienced higher losses this quarter, concentrated entirely with oil and gas accounts. Apart from oil and gas lending and transportation finance, our other lending portfolios exhibited stable credit metrics and low losses in the quarter. Turning to the specific credit performance in the businesses, Canadian consumer-impaired loan provisions decreased $7 million quarter-over-quarter to $103 million, which, at approximately 26 basis points, is lower both compared to last quarter as well as last year. Also, as shown in the supplementary financial information package, Canadian consumer delinquencies decreased both compared to last quarter and to Q1 of 2019. Canadian commercial PCL on impaired loans increased to $35 million from $24 million last quarter. There were no specific industry trends or themes observed, and at approximately 16 basis points, this quarter's PCL rate reflects solid credit performance in Canadian commercial, consistent with the long-term average for this business. U.S. consumer PCL on impaired loans was $16 million, down slightly from the prior quarter. U.S. commercial PCL increased to $116 million due to one larger loss and elevated provisions in the transportation finance sector, reflecting continued weak conditions in the U.S. trucking market. This weakness in transportation finance and the one larger loss I referred to accounted for approximately 50 percent of the total PCL in U.S. commercial this quarter. The remainder Was a function of the normal variability we see from time to time in commercial portfolios with no discernible theme capital markets pcl and impaired loans was 53 million dollars consistent with last quarter the provisions were entirely in the oil and gas sector and predominantly related to u.s natural gas accounts where very low commodity prices for natural gas continue to pressure some borrowers in this sector switching briefly to slide 17 our U.S. exploration and development exposure is $4.5 billion, a decline of approximately 4% from the prior quarter. Breaking this sector down further, we estimate gas-weighted gross loans and acceptances represent less than 1% of total business and government lending when measured on the basis of revenue. Turning back to slide 16, the provision for credit losses on performing loans was $25 million, mainly reflecting modest credit migration and balance growth. On slide 18, formations were $831 million, up modestly from $799 million in the last quarter, with the increase fully attributable to business and government formations. The ratio of gross impaired loans to total loans increased four basis points to 62 basis points, driven by the higher formations and lower write-offs relative to recent quarters. In summary, Overall credit quality remains strong despite the higher provisions in our U.S. commercial portfolio and our natural gas loan book. And although there will be some continued pressure in oil and gas and transportation finance, I expect the impaired provision to nonetheless decline over the next few quarters with loss rates averaging in the mid-20s basis points range. I will now turn the call over to the operator for the question and answer portion of today's presentation.
1: Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If at any time you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. And the first question is from Manny Grauman with Cormac Securities, please go ahead.
5: Hi, good morning. Uh, Pat, I just want to follow up on, on the credit side of things. Um, you gave a good uh, detail, but I'm just wondering, more big picture, what gives you confidence that what you're seeing is not the beginning of something uh, more significant? Um, if you could talk about uh, transportation in particular um, and then just overall uh, key indicators that give you confidence in that uh, better outlook for the rest of the year.
4: Sure, thanks for the question, Manny. Um, Yeah, and I I would definitely say that this quarter, in our view, is an anomaly. And as I said in my comments, we expect the PCL to normalize starting in Q2 and then running for the balance of the year. And the reason that we believe that is, um, you know, when we look across the various portfolios, first of all, um, you know, starting with the consumer books in particular, both Canada and the U.S., consumer books continue to be very solid. I think when you look at the PCL numbers and the delinquency rates, you know, there's no reason for us to conclude that the Those low losses won't continue for the balance of the year. You know, Canadian commercial at 16 basis points, again, a very solid quarter. We see no sector weakness uh, or underlying decay uh, in uh, the credit metrics. So we expect Canadian commercial to stay within that range over the balance of the year. When I look at capital markets, the story really is just U.S. natural gas. Um, you know, outside of NatGas, we had virtually no PCL in any other sector in capital markets this quarter. And then with respect to NatGas, um, you know, we do expect that to moderate over the course of the year. You know, when we look at uh, our portfolios from the bottom up in both Houston and in Calgary, um, you know, we see the PCL rates coming down in Q2, Q3, and Q4. They won't be zero, of course, um, but I think if you look at, to the two goal posts of zero and where we were this quarter, you know, somewhere in the middle of that range is probably a pretty good forecast for the balance of the year. So that really just leaves U.S. commercial and of course TF, as I mentioned, um, is a spot of weakness. Um, but, you know, keeping in mind the numbers are relatively small there in terms of total losses. Um, you know, and it's a really a cyclical issue very specific to that sector. I would expect the loss to be somewhat similar next quarter and then declining linearly to the bout to the to the end of the year. And so apart from that, we really had one lumpy loss, as I mentioned, um, and that plus TF was really 50% of the PCL in U.S. commercial. As we look at all the other sectors, we don't see any reason to think that the rest of the portfolio won't perform fairly consistent with what you saw through most of 2019. Um, and so, and then when I look at the credit metrics in particular for US commercial, um, you know, I look at the weighted average probability of default in that sector, um, it actually went down slightly from Q4 and is virtually flat relative to Q1 of last year. So that tells me there's no broad-based deterioration in the portfolio outside of that weakness in TF. And, you know, that same uh, trend uh, for the probability of default is similar for the wholesale portfolio in aggregate. Um, and so when I look across the board, Uh, when I look at the sectors, when I look at the strength of the consumer portfolio, the strength of Canadian commercial, um, the strength of capital markets outside of oil and gas, to me, that all adds up to to a moderation in the loss rates, again, into that range of, you know, the mid-20 basis point range that I talked about in my comments.
5: And just as a follow-up, we've heard from other banks that talked about coronavirus and just saying it's too early to tell, but just uh, to clarify, when you talk about your outlook, (coughs) you're assuming no issues from from that uh, emerging risk i would say
4: Yeah, I would say, first and foremost, many, it's it's probably too early to tell. I think for the moment, our first concern is obviously with the health and safety of our employees in Asia and the other affected regions. Um, We're obviously very focused on business continuity as well to ensure that we've got continuity um, in in all of our regions in the event it gets worse. um, We are looking very closely at the tail risks within our marked market books and we're not seeing any short-term impacts there either from COVID-19. We're running things fairly close to home in those books. And then lastly, in the credit portfolios, um, that, of course, will take probably longer to play out. It will depend a little bit on how severe it gets and how long it lasts, but um, when we look at first-order effects, we don't see concentration in sectors that would have um, severe impacts certainly for things say like cruise ships where we have no exposure at all um, you know that gives us some some comfort that the first order impacts are probably relatively minor of course second order impacts from things like supply chain disruption um, and slowing economic conditions broadly will take longer to play out um, and so we'll probably it's too early to tell we would see that as we drift through the balance of the year and then you might see some of that show up in in the performing provision as well Um, you know it probably in the short term will show up in changes in in macroeconomic uh, forecasts to the extent that our economics group decides to change that. Um, and uh, But longer term,
1: uh, you know, it's probably too early to say. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Steve Terrell with Eight Capital. Please go ahead.
5: Thanks very much. Uh, just sticking with, with Pat for a second. Hey, Steve, Sorry. we lost you. Uh, Sorry, can you hear me? Okay, there. Yep, got you now. Apologies. Uh, So sticking with Pat, um, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but you mentioned mid twenties a couple of times. Was that intended to be sort of your thoughts on the full year PCL rate or the remainder of the year PCL rate?
4: No. To be specific, that's for the remainder of the year, and and obviously there can be quarter-to-quarter variability, as you saw this quarter. That's pretty normal, but on average for the balance of the year, we would expect to see something
5: around that range for the next three quarters. Okay. And it sounds like what we're hearing is there was an idiosyncratic loss. Was was it the construction item or the services industry item we see in the provision schedule, and is there any detail – You can give us on that. Was it fraud related or was it it just something else?
4: No, it, it, and you're right, it was in the construction sector. Um, it was not fraud-related. It was a client, actually, that we've had in the bank for many decades um, in in a fairly idiosyncratic part of the construction sector, um, and so not really something we would see applicable to the rest of the sector, um, and they just ran into some specific difficulties. We tried to work our way through it with them, but unfortunately that led to a PCL in the quarter. And you'll see that in the, there's a bit of a spike in GIL in that sector as well. That's really just that one name that that I'm talking about um, and then we actually exited exited our exposure there and so we don't anticipate any further PCL from that and we would expect
5: that gil balance to actually go down next quarter okay thanks for that and then Tom if I could you, you talked through the, the margin in the US and obviously good news with the margin only being down one basis point uh, but you talked about strong deposit growth you talked about competition the deposit growth actually looks a little weaker than the last few quarters. So was it that deposit growth was coming off, or was it more the mix of the deposit growth, maybe just some colour there? Yeah, sure. So um, I'd say we were very happy with the
3: the margin in our USP&C business. Uh, we had guided uh, on our last call to a decline in the upper single digits. In fact, we came in at down one, and um, the big drivers there were – Um, sort of a better pricing environment in the market. Um, uh, And when I say better, better than what we had seen uh, off of the earlier Fed cut. Um, And then as well, um, we had our loans growing at a higher rate of deposits. So on the margin, the relative rate of growth uh, uh, is important and and deposit growth uh, exceeded uh, loan growth and that helped uh, the margin. Um, and those were the, the big two drivers. And um, looking forward for the balance of the year, we do expect to be in a better place uh, than, uh, than we had thought. And so give or take, we think the better margin holds through uh, the balance of the year. Okay. That's helpful.
1: Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Scott Chan with Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead uh thanks very much just
2: sticking to the u.s side um i see loan growth is pretty strong up 12 percent in in total um are you still sticking to your high single digit uh loan growth target in fiscal 2020 and if you are um maybe talk about why we think there's going to be deceleration throughout the year
6: thanks uh so this is dave yeah i think uh we would still stick to that i i think i said at the last quarter um high single digit i also said i thought it would uh, Probably exceed and has in the past exceed the market as we continue to grow into areas that we have not been in the past. So I expect that to continue. Um, I don't see any variance from that. We were off a little bit in the first quarter, uh, still growing, but not as much. But I see that continuing to pick up in the rest of the in the rest of the year.
7: Okay. Thank you.
1: Okay. Thank you. The next question is from Ibrahim Punevala with Bank of America. Please go ahead.
8: Hi. Good morning, guys. Uh, First, just wanted to follow up, Pat, very quickly on the oil and gas portfolio. Uh, I'm I'm sorry if I missed it. Have you disclosed how much of the book is uh, Nat gas-related versus oil?
4: Yeah, we estimate that you can work off of roughly less little less than 1% of total business and government loans comes from U.S. natural gas, and you can measure it on the basis of revenue or production. That's revenue, um, and that's a pretty good estimate.
8: Got it. And just in terms of when you talk to a lot of uh, banks exposed to the shale uh, sector and Texas uh, uh, energy space, it feels like uh, we're going to see maybe 12 to 24 months of just cleanup going on as kind of the capital sources for some of these companies have dried up. Like, Is your comfort around that book a function of like you've done a deep dive and you don't expect any one-offs or lumpiness over the next few quarters? Like what's driving Uh, that because when I hear some of your peers in the U.S., they kind of talk about potential for more volatility at least over the next year as some of this uh, flows through the pipe.
4: Yeah, so we're certainly not uh, forecasting uh, when we think about loss rates or prospect for the sector increases in natural gas prices. Um, You know, there's uh, likely to be some upward migration on that price, but fairly modest over the course of the next couple of years, so I think we're consistent there. Um, Our view on losses coming out of the U.S. natural gas book in the next couple of quarters is, as I said, based on a bottoms-up analysis of our book. Um, And so we look at uh, not just... uh, the cash flow of our various clients, but, you know, their ability to liquidate assets in the event of, uh, of a bankruptcy process and look at our asset coverage relative to loan value. And so it's a fairly detailed analysis. Obviously, there's there can be surprises in there, but, um, you know, the number that I gave you, that range that I gave you earlier, um, you know, is our best estimate at this time based on a reasonably detailed bottoms-up analysis of that U.S. book.
8: Understood. And I guess uh, just a separate question, Tom, around I, I think you said capital markets last four quarters, the average between $320 million, and that's kind of what you view as the earnings power for that business. Does that imply that you don't expect um, quarters like uh, what we saw last year, like a sub $300 million quarter? Was that the message in there, or I just want to make sure I understand that correctly?
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll say uh, something briefly, and then I'll hand it over to Dan Barclay. Um, um, so we do see the 320 issues being reflective of the earnings potential of the business. Um, we've invested in the business over time, and uh, uh, we've had very strong performance in the U.S., and so uh, we're comfortable at that level, but I'll, I'll hand it over to Dan to give a little color to that.
7: Sure, thanks, Tom, um, and I appreciate the question. Uh, As we've looked forward, uh, I think Tom's highlighted the the, the key piece as we have made the investments across the U.S. uh, as well as adjust on some of our cost structure, uh, what you see is that uh, move up in to the next level of of earning potential. As Tom mentioned, the last three quarters average uh, works out to about 320. Uh, We obviously had a very strong quarter uh, this quarter above that uh, at 362. And so that's what we see going forward, uh, strengthen most of the businesses in the U.S, both on the market side, on the banking side and the corporate lending side, uh, all client driven. Uh, when we look at the pipelines and what we've uh, seen to date, uh, they've continued on to Q2. Uh, and so yes, I think we're confident that that's uh, where we can see the business go forward.
8: Got it. And just since we have you, Dan, is the U.S. business where you want it to be? Like just if you can very briefly talk about any investment spend or market share opportunities that you're looking at actively given some of the retrenchment of maybe the European players. Just how do you think about the U.S. business where it stands today?
7: Yeah, I think consistent with uh, where we've been uh, at the quarter uh, and at uh, this quarter, last quarter, uh, and at Investor Day last year, Uh, We continue to push forward to drive uh, and double our market share in the U.S. Uh, We've made all the substantial investments, and so now it's into the scaling uh, process around that. Uh, We do have multiple investments in most of our product lines, both people and banking. Uh, You saw the acquisition we made in Clearpool uh, this quarter. Uh, You'll remember back to the KGS acquisition we made uh, 18 months ago. Uh, All of those are investments uh, that are continuing to to grow and will bear fruit uh, over time. Uh, and so do have good confidence in our U.S. business and the growth that we see there.
8: Got it. Thank you for taking my questions.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Gabriel Deschain with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
9: Good morning. Uh, thanks, Pat, for uh, your uh, thoroughness in the uh, explanation of this uh, quarter's credit trend. But uh, you know, one of the frequent pushbacks I get from investors on, on 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 the bank's growth in the past few years in the commercial book is you know 15% type growth. It's uh, good on one hand, but uh, worries about the you know credit quality uh, uh, down the road. You know, what kind of confidence do you have, or, or, or that you know what we see? This quarter, described as idiosyncratic losses or one-offs or whatever, won't start popping up, you know, a year or so from now following this, uh, you know, strong period of commercial growth we've had in the bank, both in Canada and the U.S. And, you know, Dave or or Cam want to pipe in, that's great too.
4: Well, th- thanks for the question, and I'll start, and then uh, and then Dave and Cam can jump in. And, and it's a good question. I understand that the concern, the growth rates in 2019 were clearly high. I can tell you that the PCL you're seeing this quarter in U.S. commercial, um, I would say virtually none of that came from any account that was added in 2019. The majority were of vintages, uh, including that lumpy loss that I talked about that are quite a bit older. That one goes back decades, and so in our view, it's not correlated. I'll give you just one other that we look quite closely at the weighted average probability of default of new additions to the US commercial loan book and compare it to the weighted average probability default in the broader portfolio. And in every quarter, going back to Q1 of last year, new additions have been significantly better credit quality than the average in the portfolio. And so on that basis, would not expect to see PCLs, certainly haven't seen it this, this quarter in terms of it being from recent vintage, and would not expect it over the course of the next 12 to 24 months.
6: So uh, let me just add to that. This is Dave. Um, it's, a, it's a great question. It's a great question on the U.S., and uh, it's a natural question with the growth we've had. Let me say a couple things. Number one, the growth has been pretty deliberate over a 10-year period and has largely been in areas where we haven't been in the past, where we know the business, and most of the business that we're doing is where you've got assets behind it. I feel really good about the growth and would never apologize for it. On this quarter, and this was a particularly lousy quarter for PCL, and trust me, our team does two things really well. They take care of their clients and they win new business. They're really good at that. They hate losing money, and they absolutely are beating themselves up a little bit this quarter, as we all are, because it's a tough quarter, especially when you lose a 40-year customer that you've supported for a long time. That's tough. But as I look forward, and I look into the next quarter and the, the rest of the year, I've got the under on where Pat's uh, got his PCL. Um, I think we're going to do very well as we generally do, and uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, you're, you're right to be skeptical. Uh, we're going uh, to prove you wrong, and uh, as we have, I think it's, uh, it's just a really good business. It continues to be a good business, and uh, um, I think I'll stop there. Cam, may want to add a little bit on the commercial side. <laughs> it, it's Cam speaking. I'll just say on the Canadian
10: commercial side. Um, I'll I'll remind you on this call, we've talked about a strategy that's focused on, um, on capacity creation and on diversification. So it's important to remember, like, one of the big drivers of the strong growth that we're seeing in Canada is we have so much more capacity out there, either in terms of hires we've made, particularly in GTA. Or in the capacity we've created through the digital tools, where Daryl mentioned earlier, we're now we've now put a billion dollars through our automated lending uh, platform. So, a lot more capacity being deployed towards existing customers and prospects. And and two reasons I'd say uh, around the confidence side. Uh, number one, it's seven sectors and five regions where we're seeing strength. Strength by strength, I mean double digit. So. That's as, as, as broad and diverse as I think you can be uh, in, our, in our country, number one. And number two, further to Pat's comments, on both spread and weighted average probability of default, the newer business we're putting on is uh, stronger than the existing book. So for those reasons, we're feeling um, confident. And, and Gabriel, it's Pat,
4: just one more time. Um, you know, we'll hit this issue head-on as well in the investor event that we're holding uh, that I'm sure you're aware of coming up. Um, it'll be a combination event between uh, the commercial segment and risk uh, to walk you through exactly why we've been comfortable with the growth rates um, and why the risk profile of the portfolio remains consistent with uh, with our appetite over the course of the last few years.
9: I, I look forward to that. I think there's a lot of people wondering how, you know, when. Most, if not all, banks are are finding it hard to grow, but you're doing so and improving credit credit quality at the same time. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Summit Maholtra with Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
11: Thanks and good morning. Uh, first question is for uh, Tom. Uh, I think it's for Tom. Just to to go back to your uh, your transportation finance purchase. Uh, it was about five years ago now. Not to put you on the spot. Uh, I'm, I know when you bought this portfolio, it was about 12 billion. I don't think it's it's all housed in the in the transportation section of your uh, of your loan book breakout. Do you do you know approximately where this this portfolio uh, size is now? Uh, a number of years after that purchase. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, the uh, the portfolio now is um, uh, about $12.8 billion. And And um, I haven't looked at this number for a while, but I think at the time of purchase, it was closer to 10 than to 12. So it's grown um, at a gradual rate over time. And we didn't expect it to be a fast grower. It's a mature business and a, a good one from an ROE uh, perspective. Um, uh, and so it's performed. You know, largely in line with expectations, we're happy with the business. Uh, and uh, I could go on here, but I'm looking at Dave, and so maybe I'll let him
6: uh, add a few comments. Yeah, the only thing I would add to it, I think those numbers are right, uh, and the business is largely housed in our commercial business in the U.S., and probably 10 percent of it in our commercial business in Canada. Um, I would say, and, and I think you've seen this before, this team is been is by far the most experienced team in the industry. That's what we liked the most about it. They've been through the cycles. They've seen the cycles. They generally can predict the cycles. And in times like this, and this, was, this I think, will be a shorter cycle, but a number of uh, our competitors get in when things are really good and get out quickly, and, and we've seen that recently. A couple have gotten out, and that just makes it better for us. So we've got the best team to run this uh, through the cycles, and I'm very, very happy with it.
11: And, and this is more more of an industry question. It's it's probably yeah. for you, Dave. I mean uh as you said, you're not gonna apologize for the loan growth and, and sequentially it does it does seem to, to be a bit normal not to put too much emphasis on three months. We also have seen a decelerating trend in, in the Fed data when it comes to to C and I loan growth in the US. In, in your opinion, is that a uh, a reflection of, of the industry to to margin trends or, or has there been perhaps some uh, some deceleration in, in commercial activity in, in aggregate uh, across the U.S.?
6: Yeah, I, I do think there's been, uh, particularly maybe in the last uh, quarter, last fiscal quarter, uh, a little bit of a slowness, a little bit of concern uh, on uncertainty on a whole number of fronts. We could go through them all. I've actually seen that, put the, the uh, coronavirus aside, I've seen that actually pick up of late. There seems to be a little bit more certainty in the U.S. as far as... Uh, uh a number of issues that are have worked their way through. So uh I don't expect that to continue and I expect uh the economy will probably pick up and uh we'll do that too as well. So that Fed data is uh good to watch but I I would expect it to get a little bit better. That's my own personal view. And Does that I'm gonna, help?
11: Yep, that's that's good. Uh I was gonna switch over to Cam Fowler if that's okay. I mean uh for as as good as Strong the momentum uh, your business had, you probably don't get enough questions uh, one one of the factors that I think is has really been helping your uh, outperformance on revenue the last couple of quarters has been the uh the favorable trend on on net interest margin compared to some of your peers i I could go into some of the factors I, I think that's driving it uh in mixed deposits but i I'd rather hear from you maybe from a from a pure business perspective is there is there something in the way that Uh, your business and your team has approached growth uh, across your product base that is uh, driving that that outperformance and margin which seems to be pretty significant again this quarter thanks uh, thanks for the question
10: thanks for the chance to to chat for a little while as well Um, I think you've uh, you've you've probably answered it for me in uh, in investor day uh, in 18, we talked really specifically about the Canadian P and C business, and we talked about outsized growth in uh, deposits, in payments, and in commercial. And you can see, you know, uh, roughly two years on, we are taking market share in in all of those categories. And so, to me, that that mix and the quality of mix. Uh, point is the single biggest driver. It is uh, really important that deposits are moving like that. It's really important that payments are moving like that. So that, to me, is um, is is the is the biggest driver.
11: Last one for you. Do you have you seen any change in the in the competitive environment in commercial? Because there does seem to be some difference in in tone from the individual banks as to where their outlook on on commercial loan growth in in 2020 lies.
10: Um, I I would say that it's it's a little different by by region and by sector, and to the the point I made earlier about the diversification of our our growth, it does feel a little different um, everywhere. I would say, on the whole, that we would expect some moderation towards the back half of the year, like in Q3 and Q4. but from, and that's an absolute comment from a relative perspective. I would expect us to be firmly in the front.
1: Thanks for your time. Thank you. The next question is from Robert Sidran with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Good morning.
12: Just sticking with the Canadian business, I wanted to ask about the the payments and the credit card side, and and I'm not sure if it's for Cam or for Tom or perhaps for both. But um, you do see good outstanding growth in the credit card business, but I see the card fee line is down uh, in the supplemental at that the All Bank level. So, uh, for I guess for Cam, which cards or which category of cards are are you know are the ones that are doing best for you, that are performing best for you, and then perhaps some explanation as to why that card fee line is down, please.
6: Sure that uh, that card
10: feline will come back um, two things that are at play i think in this quarter are a, a little bit on the a little bit on the interchange pressure side uh... and a little bit on the quebec legislation side um... but i do expect things to things to improve on the back half of the year our best performing uh, it, it's a it's a it's a pretty well-rounded performance uh... on the card side in that the entire books moving as we expected it would based on some investments we've made on um, marketing proposition and uh, data. Um, where I'm maybe most pleased uh, of late has been the growth on the on the small business suite that we launched um, just a little over a year ago, four or five new cards and capabilities, which has been uh, smaller base but fastest growing within within the book. But on on the round, I think it's um, stronger co- across the entire book, and I would expect the the nerd to be a little better in the back.
12: I was under the impression that we were going to see some pressure on the card fee line in the second half of the year, but I guess for you, you're saying that's not the case.
10: I think that there there will be different forms of pressure. I just think that we have momentum that will see us through it. Okay. Thank you.
13: Thank
1: you. The next question is from Mario Mendonca with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good
13: morning. Uh, Pat, just first, just a quick clarification. You referred to the... Um, you. you You referred to the Canadian commercial PCLs ratio at about 16 basis points. Is that right? That's correct. And then I think you also said that was consistent with your long-term average. And the reason I'm asking is I I would get a very different number when I look at the industry. And so what I'm curious about is what time period are you looking at? Have you taken into account the, the periods when commercial real estate was a problem?
4: Yeah, like we're. I certainly am not going back to the financial crisis. I think our 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 books are quite a bit different, and in particular, commercial real estate is quite a bit different in terms of our mix, at least here at BMO versus what it was then. Um, you know, when you look at um, you know you look at that level. I would say it's relatively consistent with what you would have seen through kind of 16, 17, and 18, and, and early 18. We went into a very strong credit period, as you know, late eight, late 2018 and 2019, um, you know, and that was about as good as credit mm-hmm. conditions can get for commercial portfolios, and we saw that both in Canadian and U.S. commercial. And so I think we've been flagging for a while that we're likely to drift up from those very benign points that we saw then, but, you know, at drifting up to a 16 basis point level to me, you know, is very consistent with what you would expect to see from, you know, a reasonably well-diversified commercial portfolio um, with the size of ours.
13: And so the long-term average that I would come up with, I imagine others would, would see something similar, would be something closer to 50 basis points, but that's including some very, very rough times in commercial real estate. Is your point here that you would look at those periods and say they're not representative of BMO's current business mix and practices?
4: Yeah, I guess maybe I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into the consistent with long-term averages We could debate on what the right long-term average is my main point was at 16 basis points that's a really good number from a loss rate. Whether you look at versus really rough times or even relatively benign times, that's a really good loss rate for a commercial portfolio. And um, clearly in really rough times, like a financial crisis, it can get worse. But I don't expect that to occur in the next year, which is why I'm comfortable that we'll see that kind of a level continue for the next you know, three or four quarters.
13: Okay. And then real quickly, when I going back to COVID-19, when I look at your – Loan mix. Um, it does. There, there are a number of categories here, like manufacturing, transportation, finance. What I think of as some of the largest categories um, in your loan book. When you think, when you stress test, I imagine you've started doing some stress testing for for COVID nineteen. Would it be fair to say that a lot of your largest categories would be sort of in the crosshairs of a of a meaningful slowdown in economic growth cross border?
4: I, 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 well, I guess. First of all, I would say it's really hard to tell, and it's far too early to say. Secondly, I don't know that I would even agree with that, with that assertion because, you know, those segments, as you say, are quite large. They're also extremely diverse. And particularly manufacturing and services, as you mentioned, those encompass so many sub-verticals, some of which, as you point out, might be in the crosshairs. Many others will not. And so you're really seeing a large sector that's a collection of a lot of subsectors. And, you know, it's an unfortunate way that, you, that we have to group it, but I think it doesn't lend itself to the characterization that you're making
13: okay that's fair and then just finally when you talk about margins in the u.s and looking for stability and margins in the u.s presumably you're not co- contemplating any rate cuts and the reason i'm asking it this way because again going back to this this virus issue there are a number of um economists out there calling for the u.s to get more aggressive on rate cuts to sort of as an insurance policy against the slowdown caused by covid so When I ask you, what I'm asking here is you're not contemplating anything of that nature when you're referring to stable margins in the U.S. Hi,
3: Mario. It's Tom. Two things. Uh, Number one, that's correct. So the outlook of uh, stable-ish assumed no cuts. And then second point, um, if we did have another Fed cut, um, you know, the impact would be uh, in the zone of a couple of bips. Understood. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The last question will be from Darko Mialik with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
12: Hi, thank you. Good morning. My questions are for Pat. Uh, Pat, when I hear you speak about transportation finance and the natural gas uh, segment, it sounds to me like there's been a significant increase in credit risk. And therefore, what we should see is movement into stage two, a lifetime loss recognized against it, And then going forward, if they do fall into impaired, well, we'll see a stage three, but the net impact should be much less in future. I can't tell. When I look at page 28 of your supplemental, it doesn't look to me like that's occurred. So I'm confused a little bit. And perhaps you can also um, help me understand a little bit with respect to what's happened this quarter. So in other words, how many of the files that hit this quarter came immediately from stage one into stage three? Uh, and
4: how many of them were actually in stage two last quarter? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's we probably don't have enough time to go into a file by file decomposition. Um, I would say you did see it, you did see some of the stage one and two migration this quarter, and I can tell you, you know, of uh, you know of those balance increases in both stage one and stage two roughly about 60% was credit migration, 40% was balance growth. But from one to two, there was a concentration in that migration in oil and gas and transportation finance, and then a bit in some of the other sectors as well. And so it's certainly not broad-based. What you might have seen this quarter in provisions as well, keep in mind that some of those PCLs can come from things that are already in stage three, where we took a provision in a prior quarter, and then that provision was increased in this quarter due to factors like we've gone a long way through a liquidation process um, and the outcome turned out to be slightly worse than we thought and that was the case this quarter as well we actually saw some PCLs coming out of stage three and then as well some that went from stage one uh, or and into three so is it is it is, is it fair to say that you
12: have already migrated a significant proportion of these accounts into stage two and that is what gives you comfort going forward that even if they fall into stage three well you've already got a significant reserve against natural gas and transportation finance or is that
4: not the case no that that is the case and you know i look at something like say the watch list in the oil and gas Space. The watch list in oil and gas actually went down this quarter versus Q4. and So that, to your point, that is because we moved it into impaired status um, and took the provisions that we thought. It doesn't guarantee, as I said earlier, that we don't see further provisions coming. There is potential for more migration. The, uh, it'll be concentrated in U.S. gas, but things are fairly stressed there. Um, but outside of that, uh, as I said, we don't see a lot. And that's what gives me some comfort around the guidance that I've given for the next couple of quarters on what those losses could look like.
12: And, and last question then, is there, can you maybe provide a, a bit of a quantum in terms of if I have a stage two provision against a, a natural gas or a transportation finance and it were to migrate to stage three, it, what's the, the quantum of difference? Is it, is it that the, the, PC, the increase in the PCO once it hits stage three would be another 10%? Would it be 50 Do you have any sort of rough idea or any, any, what we have seen so far? Is, 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 maybe perhaps looking at the historical... Can you give us an idea? I mean, that that ultimately is what's gonna give us comfort that the future provisions really should be light given the fact that you're going from stage two to stage three and the difference between the two is nominal or is it not nominal?
4: Yeah, I mean it's really going to be case by case, as you would imagine. You know, stage two tends to be a bit more, quite a bit more formulaic in terms of the provision. When it gets to stage three, we actually start to look through the details of asset value, asset coverage, um, you know, sale valuations and things like that in the for that particular name. And so, um, you know, it's it's hard to draw, um, you know, a parallel uh, the way you're looking for. But your experience so far, do you have any kind of insight you can share? Yeah, generally speaking, I would say the provision that we take in stage two is probably not that dissimilar to what you might see on average over the longer term for the provision we'll ultimately take in, in stage, once, once it gets into impaired. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you.
1: Thank you. There are no further questions for at this time. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Darrell White.
2: Thank you operator. In summary, I want to come back to where I started. This was a very good quarter for BMO at 4.6% operating leverage and when I look across all of our businesses, all of our businesses performed well closer to their longer term potential. We're seeing new levels as you heard through the call of earnings run rate expectations, particularly from our wealth and capital markets businesses. You also heard that PCL was elevated but we earned through it, and we expect it to come down next quarter and for the balance of the year. We're investing and driving revenue in key competitive growth areas while maintaining our commitment to 2% or less expense growth for the year with continued progress on our efficiency ratio. Everyone at BMO understands that being more efficient makes us more competitive and even better positioned to drive long-term, strong relative financial performance. Our commitment to our clients and our purpose is unwavering. Recently, we sadly lost one of the greatest champions of that purpose. So on behalf of all of us at FIMO, I want to take a moment to formally acknowledge the passing of a great friend, great business leader, and a true statement, Monsieur Jacques Menard. He was an architect of the Canadian broker-dealer industry, a figurehead for our bank in his home province of Quebec, and a model of purpose-driven leadership for all. He will be greatly missed. Thank you all for participating in today's call. We look forward to speaking to you again in May. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.